In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we've got amazing lessons today, and, and I think they kind of boil down to Jesus saying, come to me. Just come to me. Come and be wedded to me. We've got this lesson from, from Joshua with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You remember the patriarchs? Well, they're matriarchs too, and Rebecca is for Isaac. And what that lesson seems to be saying very simply is, it matters to whom you are wedded. And it matters to what you are wedded. Come to me. Come to me. And then hopefully, with Song of Solomon, that wonderful, wonderful book, we can say, my beloved, look, it's coming. You know, and really welcome this, that, this beloved Jesus Christ who says, come to me. And we turn to him like a lover. Deep desire, deep welcoming, deep wonder, and fall into each other's arms to live a life, to live a life. Many years ago, I was serving uh, at a major medical center in Richmond, Virginia, Medical College of Virginia, huge, huge complex. And they had me working, I was training in um, pastoral work. They had me in the trauma ER, and that's where the worst of the worst are brought from horrible events, gunshots and stabbings, horrible accidents, and so forth and so on. And one day I was walking through the lobby of this huge medical center, and it was just full of people arriving, coming and going, full of people there at the reception area, coming in to visit and whatever their business was. And coming through the door was a tall, older black lady. And she came in the door and paused and started screaming. And she started screaming my name. And she started running toward me. And as she got closer through the throngs of people, I realized who she was. She was a woman, an old lady, that I had sat with a number of times. She was in not good shape, but she went on to leave and not die, and she was coming back for a follow-up appointment. Well, what she was screaming about was something that happened in her life long before I knew her that she had never, ever shared with a single person in her life. It was too close. It was too special. It was, she thought people would think she was crazy. But it was just bursting inside of her. And one day as we sat, it came out. She said, PJ, I died once, years ago. I had this experience. 
I never told anybody. I thought they would laugh at me. I thought they would think I was crazy. I got to tell somebody. So she's talked about her as we now label them near-death experience. You may have known people. You may have had one yourself. You may have read about these things. And hers was so similar, where she was above herself and looking down. Not connected, but yes connected with what was beneath her, herself and her life. But she talked about what it felt like. That was home. You know, we speak of sometimes when people die, they've gone home. Well, for her, it was. And it was just the most amazing, peaceful, wonderful, wonderful place and state of being that she had floated to. She came back to life. She came down. But her screaming at me coming through that lobby was a revisiting for her into that space that I had somehow allowed for her to be in. Nothing I did, a blessing to me, incredible blessing to her, screaming to her. She was screaming out of sheer joy for the near presence to God Almighty. Somehow, Jesus said, come. She had an opportunity to know what that's all about. John Proctor was here this morning. You may remember last week he fell out in a pew during the 8 o'clock service. I think I re relayed that to you. Well, I asked how he was doing as he left this morning. He looked good. And he said, I'm doing fine. And then he was doing so fine, he started to joke. He said, well, I'm glad it didn't happen today when they read that lesson that said, come to me, get it? <laughs> Jesus, not today. I, preacher, I don't think I want to go today. You're getting up a busload. Come to me is what it's saying. I read an art article this week of another woman who had had two near-death experiences. Two. One, the first one, when she was in labor with her first child and things had gone awry. They happen. And our lawmakers need to understand these things are not cut and dry. They are real. She died. And she floated up into the corner of the room. Somehow that's many, for many people, that's the experience is floating over in the corner of the room over them. And she had those same absolute feelings that this friend in Richmond, Virginia had had of just being at home, just joy, wonder, my peace, glory for her. And then she had a second one. She and her husband, she works for um, a medical center at Dartmouth. Her husband's a physician. And she's a writer, an incredible writing writer. Her name is Deborah Plume or Prune. She said we were on our way one night uh, in the car. We were running late, and, and we were trying to get to some friends to have dinner together. 
And uh, we came up to this intersection, and fortunately, there was a big, bright green light. And so we went through the intersection, and bam! That green light was the last thing she remembers about that. What had happened was an oncoming car somehow going 40 miles an hour had crashed in them dead on from the front. And she was totally confused, totally in shock. And this man, she said, came up and opened her door this rumpled Volvo that they were in and took her hand and just held her hand and stroked it and said, you're okay. I'm here with you. The EMTs are on the way and they are going to get you to the hospital to get you taken care of. But you're going to be fine. But until they get here, I'm staying with you. And she, he did. He held her hand the whole time. And at some point, she heard her husband screaming her name. And she said, somehow it was sort of a, I don't know, a, a disruption or something. And later, her husband said, yes, I did scream. I screaming your name because they were both covered in blood. And they tried to find this man. They went to all efforts to try to find this man, to thank him. She wanted him to know how much comfort that had been to her, that he got and just stood there, knelt there by the side of the car, and held her hand, encouraged her and assured her that she was going to be there. They never found him. They, they asked personally, Having looked up the EMTs that responded to that accident, no, ma'am. We were the first ones there. There was nobody there. They asked the police, same thing. I mean, they searched out the ones who responded to that accident. No, ma'am. The only people that came to that car were the EMTs. They arrived immediately. That was real. That was real for her. That man was there. Who was it? We gotta ask, don't we? But we know. We know, we know, we know who comes to us and holds our hands when we most need it. God Almighty. And it feels like, oh my gosh, her words, her description. She's a writer. So I've got to read you a little bit of her description of the moments that she was gone. She was dead, okay? I had no awareness of myself as a unique entity. Her only awareness was being held by this man who didn't exist to the real world. No cognition of having a distinct identity. Instead, I felt utterly and profoundly peaceful in a way that I never sensed. To my core, I felt safe and at home. Same word in that medical center in Richmond, Virginia, home. I sensed to be 
immersed in glowing yellow. I don't know how to describe the sensation, except that I felt as if I'd been dropped into a vat of pudding in a good way. I didn't feel dead. If anything, I felt blissfully alive. I experienced a comforting euphoria and sensed my essence shimmering in the middle of a life force. Yeah. So when Jesus says, Come to me, I'll give you rest. Be connected with me as Rebecca to Isaac. I am your beloved. I love you. Let's be lovers. That's what Jesus says. That's what he's talking about. This glimpse. We think about eternal life all the time. Some of us, especially those who have reached my age, you know, the chronology begins to start out here and come back to you. And what you want and what you yearn and what you got to have is that sense of love, that eminence of love that's come. And you go back through your life and see the eminence of love that's followed you all the way. And Jesus has come to me. Come to me. First time I remember profoundly kind of experiencing that myself was as a little toddler, a boy. And I would sneak out, unbeknownst to my mother and father, at night, you know, toddling out into the darkness of our backyard, grassy area, garden beyond that. There was a little fenced-in area I'm sure they had there to keep me fenced in. And I'd go beyond that. And I would stretch out in the wet, dewy grass on my back. It was dark, before light pollution and all that that we have done to ourselves now. And just look up. And it was that sense of that, I mean, the Milky Way was so incredible once. The Aurora Borealis, all the way to North Carolina. So magnetic fields and put on a display and it just took me out of myself. It was scary but warm and welcoming and wonderful at the same time. It's almost like floating in that. I think that's what some of these near-death experiences were all about. I think that's some of what they were doing. They were glimpsing Heaven. You know, there's this Garden of Eden thing. You know what that word Eden means when you translate it to English? Delight. It's a garden of delight. And some old hymns have picked up on that and sing about this garden of delight. So we're not to resist when Jesus says, come to me and leave behind, let go of that which is not of love. Talked about that a lot last week, didn't we? That which is not of love. Because that's what robs us of who we really are. We talk about heaven on earth. Yeah, it's tough to imagine heaven on earth. But you know what? The good book tells us in the midst of the worst of your days, 
you're being held in the midst of the worst of what you humans do to one another and to my beautiful world, I still don't give up on you. I still love you. I still want you. So come to me and be who you really are. Be yourself. Because you created my image and likeness. I'm trying to do the whole Bible this morning. And you are. We are. We are dearly, dearly loved. I read a book very quickly here. I just finished it recently about how we get ourselves trapped within ourselves, our own guilt, our own grief, our own captivity, a self-enslavement, if you will. It's called Beneficence. Fairly new book, Beneficence. I hope you will read it. It's by a woman. Her name is Meredith Hall. And it's about a family up in Maine. This author, Meredith Hall, lives in Maine and in California. And she's written this. She knows that it takes place in Alstead, Maine, not far from the coast, excuse me, from Portland. And it's on a farm. It takes place starting back in, I guess, the late 30s, or somewhere along there, mid to late 1930s. It goes up to, I don't know, the 60s or 70s. And they have this kind of idyllic farm life. They've gotten married, Doris and Tup, she calls her husband, and have had some children. And there's this tragic, unimaginably tragic accident in the home of the death of their firstborn son by a weapon that was kept in the home, an old antique rifle that had been Tup's grandfather's. And since then, it's an antique, and the children in the, over the generations have just played with it. And these children were playing with it. And their mother was in the room. And Sonny's face was blown off. Guilt. Shame. Grief. And the book is told not as someone outside the family, but by each member of the people in this family from their perspective as time goes along. So Doris and Best, their son, and Sonny and, and Dodie, the daughter, tell it as they're living. And then Doris is there. Of, of all of them, they've all suffered grievously, but of all of them, Doris, the mother, is the most self imprisoned in her guilt and in her grief and she just abandons almost the family almost abandons the family for years on end probably 10 years before she finally begins a journey to come out and she calls it I gotta go home I want to come home this is not who I am just like Paul said this morning to the, that letter to the Romans, those folks in Rome, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I want to do. That's what he says. That's what she said. Come to me, Jesus said. Just come. It's as simple as that. It's just as simple as that. And just be ready to say, there's the voice of my beloved. 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to my lover. That's where I'm going. I'm going to my lover. Look, he comes. Come on and go. So I want you to go back up here and get it. To read with me again that love letter called the Song of Solomon, that little piece that that we worked on this morning. I want us to read it together. And I want you to not just recite it, me either. I want us to read it to Jesus, to our lover. You ready? The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, for now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard on our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And no wonder that woman came screaming at me in that lobby at the Medical College of Virginia. You see what she had found? Her lover. Love. And so have you. God bless you. Amen.